1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58 says, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 verse number 57. I have quoted that verse several times in the last several weeks. As we look together all through the month of March, much of the month of March, at words connected to our salvation only through the cross of Jesus Christ. And you remember as we went through that study together, I called that series Triumph Terms. Triumph Terms. This is what we find in our salvation in connection to the cross of Jesus Christ. Some of those words we looked at, you recall, washed, sanctified, justified, reconciliation, redemption, propitiation, All of those things only possible because Jesus died and shed His blood for us on the cross. I don't take away anything from what was said of that study as we try to appreciate what we have in the cross of Jesus Christ. But as you think about those words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57 where he talks about the victory that we have through Jesus Christ... Well, that comes at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, and that whole chapter happens to center around what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. What I want to do is move from the triumph term surrounding the cross today, looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Brethren and friends, without the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, you and I have no hope of being in heaven. Without the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you and I have no opportunity for our sin to be forgiven. But without the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, you and I have no hope. You and I have no reason to think that there is life for ourselves beyond the grave. And so the real triumph that is talked about there by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 happens to deal with coming out of the grave. Because Jesus came out of the grave, you and I have the hope of ourselves coming out of the grave. Because Jesus overcame death, you and I have the hope of overcoming death. What does the resurrection mean to you and to your life? How much thought do you give to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Again, this is a time of year where many of our friends of the religious world, they seem to be thinking more and more about the resurrection. And I was asked even this morning, why is it that today you're going into this discussion? Well, I'm telling you because I think this is the perfect follow-up to what we've been discussing in connection to the cross. But if it's on people's minds, let's talk about it. Let's be reminded ourselves. But let us understand that there is not just one time of the year that God has set aside for us to remember the resurrection of our Savior. Every day this needs to be on our minds. Every day we've got to be focusing on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What does that mean to me? And what does that mean to you? This is really important for us to consider and to give a lot of thought to. Those words that Brother Justin read just a moment ago, those words are real. An angel really looked into the face of Mary Magdalene and really said, He is not here. Oh, He was here. Oh, you came here because you know He was here. Because you watched Him be crucified and you know that He was placed in this tomb. But Mary, He is not here. He is risen. Those are some of the the finest words I believe we find in the Bible. He is not here. He was here, but He is not here. 
reminds us of the words of Jesus over in John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, where Jesus says, Don't marvel at this, for the hour is coming, and now the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice, the voice of God, and they will come forth. And those who have done good will go on to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. But there is coming a day when all who are going to all are going to come out of the grave. Why do we think that to be true? Well, I'm just suggesting this morning, I'm just reminding us that if Jesus came and he died on the cross, that's that's great. We need it. We're lost without his blood. But if he stayed in the tomb, well, the foundation of our faith crumbles, doesn't it? There's simply no reason for us to have any expectation of life beyond the grave ourselves. If the Savior didn't come back to life, then you and I, all we can expect is that we're going to die ourselves and we're going to remain in the grave. What's the enormity of this subject? What are we really dealing with? I want to begin there in 1 Corinthians 15, and I want to look at the connection of the resurrection to the gospel. Now, when we hear the word gospel, immediately our minds think what? Good news. Isn't that the gospel? Isn't that exactly the meaning of the gospel, the word gospel? The gospel is, is, is in itself good news. But in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul connects this to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see how he does it. This is good news concerning the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That Jesus died, he was buried, and three days later, he came back to life. In 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, to Christians, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures." Paul says, this isn't the first time you're receiving this information from me. I have declared this to you before. And by the way, you have received this before. You received this to be that which is concerning salvation. You understand that if you receive this, you are saved. And if you continue to stand here, it will will lead ultimately to your salvation. But I have preached this to you in the past. What have I delivered to you? I delivered to you the fact that Jesus died... I delivered the fact to you that Jesus was buried, and I delivered the fact, according to the Scriptures, that Jesus was raised on the third day. And so what do we immediately know about the gospel? That which Paul had preached, that which he had delivered to these brethren? Well, immediately we know that it involves the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, don't we? We know that certainly the gospel encompasses the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And yet, you go other places in the Bible, like 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. This is interesting to me. Because there the Bible says that Jesus is going to come back in flaming fire with His angels. And He is going to take vengeance upon those who do not obey God, or don't know God, and those who do not obey the gospel. Well, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, wanting to question this because the gospel is fact. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul says that those who don't obey the gospel are going to be lost. How do you obey 
the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That just sounds like a fact to me. People are asking, how do I obey the gospel? You know, I hear members of the Lord's church talk about obeying the gospel. Obeying the gospel. Have you obeyed the gospel? Hey, he or she, they obeyed the gospel. What do we mean by that? I don't really hear people outside of the Lord's church really use that phraseology very much. You know why we would say that? Only because the Bible does. Only because the Bible says that those who don't obey the gospel are going to be condemned. Those who don't obey the gospel are going to be lost. Well, how do I do it? How do I obey the gospel? The answer is simple, but this is foundational. I need to lay before we move on to another term. And that is in Romans chapter 6, we learn exactly how we obey the gospel. The gospel is encompassing of the death, burial, and resurrection. But more than that, it is the whole of man's salvation. It is everything that Jesus did to provide us an opportunity to be saved. And certainly this would include His death, burial, and His resurrection. If you recall in chapter 1, Paul says in verse number 16 of Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel. What's the gospel? How do I obey the gospel? The answer, I believe, is found right here in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if, verse 5 says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly uh, we should be in the likeness of His resurrection. Death, burial, resurrection. How do I obey the gospel? It's right here. And it's in baptism. That's the culmination of my obeying the gospel. I have come to believe Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. I am willing to make that confession with my mouth. I am willing to repent of sin in my life, to turn away from sin. But obeying the gospel encompasses all of this, but its culminating fact or act is in baptism. It is there that I die. It is there that that old man of sin, Paul says, is crucified. It is there that I am buried underwater and come out to walk in newness of life. Death, burial, and resurrection. All right there connected to baptism in Romans chapter 6. My friend, that is how we obey the gospel. I'm not telling you that, but Paul is. The Bible says it. And some too many are saying, I don't know if baptism's really in the plan. I don't know if water really is necessary. You're going to tell me that, that it is there, that, that my sins are, are washed away, it is there, that I am forgiven? Who cares what I tell you? But that's what the Bible says. That's what it says. That's how you obey the gospel. Water is in the plan. And it's not my plan. It's God's plan. None of this matters, I say again though, without the resurrection. Paul says that I am buried, I put that old man of sin to death, and I rise out of the water to walk in newness of life because Jesus was raised. I have the hope of being raised. That's what we're dealing with. 
Please don't misunderstand me. All of this is made possible only because of the cross. But if my Lord stayed in the tomb, what hope do I have of getting out of it? Jesus was raised by the, by the power of God. And that same power is going to display itself in my resurrection and in yours. We need to be thinking about this and thinking in these terms. You say, I'm just not sure. Did Jesus really come back to life? I've never seen that happen myself. Can you be sure that Jesus came back to life? In other words, I need some evidence of this. Can you prove that Jesus came back to life? Well, yes. And Paul offers it back in our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, I'll give you evidence. I'll give you all that you need. How about this? How about an empty tomb? How about the fact that the tomb is empty? Well, that sounds like pretty good evidence, doesn't it? After all, who was responsible for putting Jesus to death in the first place? Who was it that led Jesus to Pilate so that the Romans could crucify him? The Jewish leaders. What did they need more than anything? What they needed more than anything. You want to squelch Christianity? You want to stop it in its tracks? You want it to go away and stop being a thorn in your side if you're a Jewish leader? All you need is for Jesus to stay in the tomb. That's all you need. All you need is to produce a dead body. And your worries are over. Christianity goes away. Nobody's going to follow a Savior who stays in the tomb. He's a liar if he stays in the tomb because he said he was coming out of it. And who's going to follow him? But they can't produce him. They never could. If they could have produced the body of Jesus, all of this goes away, but they never could. And so an empty tomb, well, that's, that's pretty good evidence, isn't it, of the fact that Jesus came back to life. But Paul doesn't stop there. Look at verse 5. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5. He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me, Paul says, also as, one, uh, as by one born out of due time. For I am least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And he goes on to talk about the grace of God helping him to be who he is. But he says, I'll offer you the evidence you need for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was seen by all these people. By the way, over 500 brethren all at the same time saw him. Paul says, you don't have to take my word for this. Many of them are still alive. Some of them have died, but many of them, most of them, are still alive. Go talk to them. I love this thought. How about, how about all of this over in Acts chapter 2? You know, keep your finger there in Acts 15. We'll come running back in a moment. But, but you remember in Acts chapter 2, that's the day that the church of Christ started. That's the day when the Lord's church was established. And the Bible says at the end of Acts chapter 2 that the Lord was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. And if you back up a little bit more in that context, verse 41 says that 3,000 souls obeyed the gospel. 3,000 souls were baptized and were added that day to them. 3,000! I wonder what convinced... 3,000 individuals to be baptized that day? What was the evidence? What proof was supplied of Jesus being the Savior and their needing to obey Him in order to be saved? Why did 3,000 people obey that day? What did they hear? 
Well, this is what they heard. In Acts chapter 2, backing up to verse 30. Therefore, being a prophet, the speaking of David, therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up, that is, resurrect up the Christ to sit on his throne. And he, David, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Peter, speaking to a crowd that day, says, you know, David saw these events coming. He looked into the future and he was able to see that God had made a promise that one would be raised up to sit on his throne. And Jesus, God has raised up, Peter says, that God did not leave him in the tomb, but God brought him back to life, has now seated him on high. And we are all witnesses, Peter says. Perhaps it is that day that the we is just encompassing of the 11 men who are standing up there with him. But I've got to think that there are many in that crowd that day who had been in Jerusalem from Passover and had witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus and knew of his raising. And based on their witnessing his resurrection, the fact that he had come back to life, whether they had seen Him with their own eyes or they had come in contact with those who had seen Him, they came to believe that He was not in the tomb, that He had come back to life. And based in in Him being raised from the dead, they were willing to obey. My friend, I wasn't there, and neither were you. I didn't see Jesus as He walked on this earth, and neither did you. And I didn't watch him as he was crucified, and neither did you. And I didn't watch him as they put him in the tomb, and neither did you. And I didn't, certainly didn't see him after he came back to life, and neither did you. What are we relying on? People who did. And they did. And they saw him. And they knew that he came back to life. Hundreds of eyewitnesses. 3,000 on Pentecost. How about Mary Magdalene? He is not here. He is risen. She went to find the body of Jesus, and she did not find the body of Jesus. Paul also says that that Simon had seen him, Cephas had seen him, Peter saw Jesus after he was raised. And so we see all of this overwhelming evidence by people who were there, and they saw that Jesus had come back to life. How about the end of Luke? How about Luke chapter 24? We're looking at evidence because... My friend, if if we can't get our minds around this, if we can't look at the facts and come to a conclusion that Jesus didn't stay in the tomb, again, our our time here is is in vain. It's, It's simply we're wasting our time. In Luke chapter 24, this is what the Bible says in verse 28. Now as Jesus has walked with these men on the road, and the Bible says in verse 28, they drew near to a village where they were going, and he, that is, Jesus indicated he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it's toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed it, and broke it. Wouldn't it have been something to have been around that table and to hear Jesus do that? And he gave it to them. Verse 31 says, And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished from their sight. 
And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while He talked with us on the road and while He opened the Scriptures to us? And so they rose up that very hour. They returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those who were gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how He had made known, was made known to them in the breaking of bread. Friends, all I'm trying to do is to lay down the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That He died on the cross for the sins of the world. That He died so that our sins could be washed in His blood and forgiven. But He went into that tomb and He didn't stay there, but that He came back out of that tomb. And I'm telling you, our faith rests solely upon this fact. How about one more? How about the rest of the apostles? A young man stood in this, behind this podium. I assume he did. Maybe he didn't last week. I wasn't here. And he talked about the post-credit scene. And he did a fine job of laying open John chapter 21. And I just remind you that in verse, verse number 1, the Bible says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. After these things, what things? After his death after His resurrection. And then you turn a page in your Bible to the first book of Acts, and you look at chapter 1, to the book of Acts chapter 1 and verse number 3, and Luke writes, to whom He, Jesus, also presented Himself alive after His suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Is there more we could say? Is there more evidence that we could provide? Of course the answer is yes. But as Paul is writing about the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, this is the evidence that he lays out. And he says, I'm telling you, he is alive. I'm telling you, he didn't stay in that tomb, but he came walking out of that tomb and he lives. We serve a risen Savior. I want to conclude by this. Friends, what if he didn't? What if he didn't? Can we just play the what if? Now, we've just laid a lot of evidence out on the table to suggest that he did. And I think beyond a reasonable shadow of a doubt, we can know that Jesus is raised. That today, Jesus sits at the right hand of his Father on high. He is not dead, but very much alive. Now, I want you to consider for just a minute, what if this never took place? What if he stayed in the tomb? What if we don't have that hope of ourselves coming out of the grave? What, what if? And that's exactly what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15. He plays for a moment that what if game. And, and so we drop down back in 1 Corinthians 15, we drop down to verse number 12. And Paul says, Now if Christ has preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up, if the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. 
And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you're still in your sin. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And so Paul says, let's just play this game. Let's just say that the resurrection never did take place. That he is still in the grave. Then what in the world are you doing here? That's what he's asking. What in the world are you doing here? If he didn't rise, Paul says, then my preaching is in vain. My preaching is worthless. My preaching is empty. And yet, as you look at this context, look at verse number 1. I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you. And in verse number 2, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you. And then you continue through the same context. And verse number 11, therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. And in verse number 12, now if Christ is preached, and so you see preached all the way through uh, this, this context. I preached, and you believed. I've been wasting my time, Paul says, if the gospel is not real, if Jesus did not raise. I'm wasting my time. Why am I continuing to do this? My preaching is worthless, Paul says. My preaching is worthless for many other reasons, but but Paul says, I've been wasting my time. If Jesus didn't raise, what are we doing here? Your faith is empty. Paul says, I've been wasting my time as a preacher of the gospel. And you're wasting your time as one who's listening to it. You're wasting your time. Your faith is empty. Your faith is in vain. It's it's worthless. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, why are you here today? Why are you here? And the answer is you're here only because... You understand there's hope beyond this life. Because this isn't it. You understand that there's a bigger picture than what you're going through on a daily basis. That you understand that there's more to life than work. There's more to life than family. There's more to life than relationships. There's more to life than what's going on on a daily basis. All of that encompasses your life, but there is something beyond this life. You know that or you wouldn't be here. Or somebody next to you knows that and they brought you. But you're here because you have faith, you have knowledge, you've weighed the evidence, and you know that that there is life beyond this life. That's why you're here. But Paul says if the dead do not rise, then your faith is worthless. There is no reason for us to be here and doing this. Paul says, if if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, if there is no resurrection, then Paul says, I'm a false witness. Now, this this goes back unto the old law. And you remember one of the Ten Commandments is, you shall not bear false witness. And then you find that under the law of Christ, where Jesus even would, would say, you better let your yes be yes and your no be no. You better be honorable and trustworthy and all liars. Well, they're going to have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone. And so that's how serious Paul is about this business. He says, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, you're making me out to be a liar. No, no, I'm not going to wear those shoes. No, that's not where I'm going to find myself. So I'm not a false witness. Here's the (laughs) no-brainer. If there is no resurrection, 
Jesus isn't raised. Well, and if Jesus isn't raised, this is where Paul has talked about himself and he says, My preaching is empty. I'm a false witness. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, but friends, this is where he's going to reach out and grab a hold of some heartstrings. This is where it gets real. Listen to me. When you pillow your head at night as a Christian, and you beg God for forgiveness of sin in your life, and then you go off to sleep, you sleep a sleep of peace. Why? Because you know that that blood has been shed, and you know that your Savior is interceding for you at God's right hand, and you have peace at night because you know that His blood continues to cleanse you from your sin. Paul says, if Jesus doesn't come out of that tomb, you're still in your sin. Why do we talk about the resurrection? Why do we say this is the foundation of our faith? Because it is. If Jesus didn't come out of that tomb, Paul says to Christians, you're still in your sin. You're still as lost as you can be. And you have no hope of going to heaven. You have no chance to be with God for eternity if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. And then he says, and this is where he grinned, he grabs heartstrings. Those people that you're longing to be reunited with, they're gone. As you sit here this morning, as you think about going to heaven, who do you think about being reunited with? A spouse? Parents? Grandparents? Loved ones who have gone before? A faithful elder of the Lord's church who helped you through difficult times? A gospel preacher who has tried to help you grow in your faith? A faithful Bible class teacher who has taught you about God as you were growing up and and all the way through your adult years? Who is it, as you sit here this morning, who do you think about, boy, I can't wait to get to heaven and be reunited with them? The magnitude of what we're talking about today is that if Jesus didn't come out of that tomb, there is no reunion. The dead, they're just dead. And that's it. What's the purpose of your life then? If that's all you do is live to die, what's the purpose in that? Brethren and friends, the only purpose we have is in Jesus. And so this morning I would ask you to weigh the evidence, to see the facts regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means to our lives. My friend, Jesus did not stay in the tomb. Jesus came out of the tomb and we must obey the gospel in order to take advantage of the sacrifice that He made for our sin. You see there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 19... Paul says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. We are to be pitied if this life is really it. He says, it's not it. 
So what's the first words of verse number 20? But now Christ is risen from the dead. What marvelous words. Christ is risen from the dead. Confident words by one who knew Him to be alive. Do you? Oh, He's alive. And He's given us the opportunity to go home to be with Him. Are you a Christian today? Have you taken advantage of the blood that He shed for you on the cross? Are you living today with the hope of being raised to be with Him for all time? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you shared in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, having raised out of that watery grave of baptism, that you too might be in the likeness of His resurrection? Do you possess that hope this morning? Well, as one who has not obeyed the gospel, won't you do so today? Won't you understand that the Lord's invitation is extended to you? Well, won't you come to the Lord, one who is very much alive and waiting for you to respond? Won't you come? Perhaps as one of His. You've forgotten about the resurrection. You've not given thought to the fact that you are going to be raised. That you are going to live for eternity in one of two places. And maybe you have wandered away from the Lord as one of His Will you humble yourself this morning and will you return? Will you come back and be right with God? This morning the Lord's invitation is extended. Won't you please come forward if you must if we stand, as we stand.